0: So this is, um, actually, Andrew, you explain it. This is the story
1: of Martin Luther. He got up to some pretty adventurous things. He was kidnapped by knights on horseback, lived in disguise in a castle, and helped some nuns escape from a convent by hiding them in barrels. But as a young man, he was troubled by a deep sense that he wasn't right with God. Once, in a thunderstorm, a lightning bolt nearly struck him. He thought he was going to die, and he cried out for help to one of the saints, saying rashly, Save me, and I'll become a monk. He survived, and so, true to his word, he gave up his studies as a lawyer and became a monk. His friends and family said he was wasting his time. In the monastery, he started reading the Bible. He discovered that it was God's mercy and love that was all that was needed to be right with God. And for the first time in his life, he found a deep peace with God. Luther was invited to be a lecturer at the University of Wittenberg. He taught through books of the Bible, and his lectures were popular. Even ordinary people from the town came along. In those days, the Catholic Church was telling Christians that their good behaviour could earn them heaven. But Luther knew from the Bible that no amount of good works could earn you forgiveness. Not even the Pope was able to give forgiveness from God. Only God could do that. Luther saw that the church had left behind what the Bible taught and was even making things up for its own gain. He decided he must teach against these false ideas. He made his complaints public by mailing them to the place in town where people published important documents the door of the castle church. He explained that it wasn't possible to buy God's forgiveness or to live a life that was good enough to deserve to know God. His writings showed that God wants to forgive the wrong we've done and that this is only possible because Jesus, the Son of God, came to pay the punishment that our wrong deserved. Jesus did this as he died in our place. Luther's ideas quickly spread throughout Europe thanks to a recent invention, the printing press. The Pope wrote a document saying that Luther had to take it all back and if he didn't he'd be treated as a heretic. Luther refused and publicly burned the copy of the Pope's letter. Luther's ideas shook things up religiously, politically and culturally. He was soon summoned to stand before the Emperor an answer for his supposed crimes of explaining what the Bible said. The Emperor declared Luther an outlaw, banning his literature. And that's when he was rescued and went to live in disguise in a castle. Dressing in knight's clothing, he changed his name to Sir George and grew his hair and a beard and spent his time translating the New Testament Again, it was published widely, meaning ordinary people could read the Bible for the first time. Luther then secretly returned to Wittenberg. He continued to write books and translate the Bible. He also got married and had a family. Europe was buzzing with Luther's message about the Bible. Today, 500 years on, the truths of the Bible that Luther knew continue to impact millions of people. People who have come to know God personally, knowing the peace and forgiveness Jesus offers us. The forgiveness that Luther found is still available today. We can all be in a right relationship with God because of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: That was good, wasn't it? Thank you for, to Andrew for finding that. So enjoy that, children? Good. You can now go to your groups. So we've got uh, children's work for up to so school years six and up. No, up to six, sorry, up to school year six. And a creche for up to three-year-olds. So where all the leaders are DBS-checked and they will look after your children extremely well. Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of these dear children that, uh, just as Luther had a revelation of the gift of God and salvation and the gift of righteousness, that into these little minds and hearts you were to bring revelation to them of the Lord Jesus Christ also. Amen. And now I invite Andrew, who's going to bring God's word to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for Andrew. Thank you for the blessing and the gift he is to us as a church. And we pray that as he brings your word to us, that it would be powerful, it would be sharp, it would penetrate us, Lord, and that we'd be different tomorrow because of what we hear today. In the name of Jesus, amen.
2: Yes, there we go. it was Kyler who found that great video, by the way. Thanks, Kyler, for that recommendation. And uh, so uh, Martin Luther King was a man who stood for justice, yes? And a very famous man who had a remarkable effect of, for civil rights in the United States and his work, of course, is still needing to be carried forward. Um, I guess when his parents named him Martin Luther... They were having a thought for the Martin Luther who we're celebrating today, 500 years from when he he went. It was actually the 31st of October that he nailed those 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. And and I imagine that they had a hope their son would change history and how their hopes were fulfilled in Martin Luther King. But you might be here today, you've heard us referencing this several times, wondering what, what's a German who lived 500 years ago got to do with anything? I mean, when the 400th anniversary of this event happened, we, Britain was at war with Germany and this whole Reformation thing was ignored. But uh, we're not at war with Germany now, at least not when I heard the radio this morning. And uh, um, we uh, can celebrate the gift that this man brought to Europe. Because I think he grappled with issues we all face. Uh, he wrote of himself um, that uh, he says, and uh, this is the next slide. If you've got, oh, sorry, we've shot a, This is Martin Luther King. Yep, then the next slide was Martin Luther. A nice picture of him smiling. And now the next slide. Okay, he wrote this I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. And there are many people today in that same place. There are many people who are very angry with God. And so Martin Luther was not the first, and he certainly won't be the last person to hate God and to be angry with God. And I believe all human beings have a heart hunger to know the answer to certain questions. Am I loved? Am I approved? Am I welcomed? Am I significant questions like that? And your belief system will govern how you answer those questions. And if you do not believe in God, then you'll wonder how other people are thinking about you. You'll be checking Facebook all the time and Twitter to see what other people think about you. And so uh, often, in fact, a dog are the, uh, is the best friend of many of us because we find in our dog a, a creature who loves us, who welcomes us home, who approves of us, and who makes us feel that we're very important to them, and they do it completely unconditionally. And so a dog can be a wonderful thing. The only trouble is, I mean, a dog can live at most how long? I mean, 15, 16 years, absolute push, maybe 20. But after that, the dog will not be able to love you anymore, will not welcome you home. And I know many of you have experienced the sadness of losing a dog. So what's going to fill that gap? How can we really find the answer to those questions? So let's look back at Martin Luther. He was born, uh, uh, Martin Luder, in Eisleben, about 120 miles from Berlin. Uh, His parents were called Margaret and Hans. Hans, his father, was a miner, a copper miner, and uh, he was raised in a village called Mansfeld. And when he was young, he was sent to school. His father expected him to beg to pay for his school fees, so he would go out and he would sing songs, he would busk, and in other ways raise money to help him through school. He then was, uh, went to the university in a town called Erfurt, and there he was studying law because he was destined to be a lawyer. His father had ambitions for him. And uh, he got his baccalaureate and his master's degree as, uh, in, in the shortest possible time, according to the statutes of that university, and he was a, a, an outstanding student. Then, in 1505, the 21-year-old Luther, as we heard in the video, was on the road to Erfurt one day when a violent thunderstorm broke out. There was a, a strike of lightning very close to him, and he was in great fear, and he cried out, help me, Saint Anne, I will become a monk. Right? He was kind of making a vow, if you save me, St. Anne, I will become a monk. Now you might say, why did he call out to St. Anne? Well, St. Anne was the patron saint of minors, and his dad was a minor, so that's what he would have been trained to do in his religious upbringing. Well, he was a very serious and... Um, Honourable young man at 21, he made the vow and within two or three weeks he had given away all his possessions and he had gone to sign up to an Augustinian monastery and become a monk, to, much to his father's displeasure because he was hoping his son was going to be a lucrative, who could earn a lot of money as a lawyer and keep him in his old age and uh, but he studied to be a monk he studied to be ordained as a priest in the catholic church he was very obedient as an augustinian monk he believed the pope to be the the leader of the church and a very holy man of god and because he then went on to get a phd in his studies he got the favor of the elector of saxony you might think the elector that doesn't sound like an important person but in saxony the elector was the prince the duke he was the guy in charge and so he he was made a professor at the university of Wittenberg, and he was also a parish priest in Wittenberg and um, was just seeking to serve God and be a very proper and good monk. So, what happened then to cause this guy Luther, who esteemed the Pope highly, to rebel against the Pope and to challenge the Pope? Well, the immediate reason that uh, you heard about in the video was uh, another monk, a guy called Tetzel. We still have the records of some of his written sermons. they still preserved today, and you can go and find them. And he was going around selling to people um, pieces of paper that said they were forgiven of their sins in return for money. Now, I don't know what, how that strikes you, but I don't, I don't think any right-thinking person would think you can buy with money the forgive, a piece of paper that actually forgives sins, and yet this was happening. And furthermore, Tetzel was alleging that your relatives who'd already died could be rescued from the burning suffering of, of, of purgatory by buying these pieces of paper. Yes, you heard me right. This is what he was alleging. So, um, but before, I'd like to come back to that in a moment, but before we do that, I'd like you to understand that the whole of the Catholic Church at that time was incredibly corrupt, and I'm not here to pull down the Catholic Church. I was actually introduced to Christ by two Catholic girls, okay? So I, I thank God for them. I, have so, I know some genuinely lovely Christians in the Catholic Church. Uh, But at this time in history, this was the place of the Catholic Church. So let me tell you uh, some more stories about that. So in 1510, Luther was invited by his Augustinian order in Germany to be one of two Augustinian monks sent to Rome with an appeal to the papal um, hierarchy. There's something called the Curia that runs the Roman Catholic Church. Now, even good Catholics were wary of going to Rome. Ten years later, Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit movement, so he, w- he didn't give up Catholicism, he stayed a Catholic all his life, but he was thinking of going to Rome and a friend told him, don't go to Rome lest your faith be shaken by its stupendous depravity. Right, that, that was Loyola. So this is not just reformers like Luther who found uh, the, the state of the Roman church in uh, Rome uh, terrible. And uh, uh, so Luther was impressed by the grandeur and the history of the city of Rome, but he was utterly shocked by the blasphemies and the impiety of the priests of the Curia, the papal hierarchy. Now the mass, the, the Roman Catholic service Uh, at that time was said in latin and the vast majority of people didn't understand latin they couldn't read anyway but they couldn't understand the latin when they heard it being read and um, the uh the, the priests in this curia it was their habit to write alternative liturgies they would take the mass and they would write lewd blasphemous parodies of it and then when they were conducting the services in the churches of rome they would use their own lewd blasphemous parodies in place of the actual liturgy and the uneducated people were unaware that this was happening and um And in addition, just for other evidence of this, Erasmus, one of the great humanist leaders of that time, also alive at that time, he had visited Rome five years before Luther. And this is a quote from Erasmus. With my own ears, I heard the most loathsome blasphemies against Christ and his apostles. Many acquaintances of mine have heard priests of the Curia uttering disgusting words so loudly, even during mass, that all around them could hear. Right so this was the state of the church, and there 's also the question of how money was misused, etc etc and so how, you might ask, how was it that the Roman Catholic Church had become so corrupted and I suppose there could be a variety of answers. It was one great monolithic thing with one head, and that 's perhaps dangerous but i 've heard a very interesting explanation from a a professor at Durham University. And that's to do with the Black Death. Have you ever heard of the Black Death, the Great Plague? It was a, a, an epidemic, a bubonic plague in the middle of the 1300s. There's a slide here about that. Um, please, Adam. Um, this is, um, there's a slide before, is there? There's a map, I thought. Um, yes. Here's a map of the spread of the Black Death. It started somewhere over in Crimea and it kind of spread all around Europe and ended up back in Russia. And this can be charted. There's a professor at the University of Oslo, Professor Tau, who's been is an international expert on the Black Death. He has calculated that fifty million people died in these few years. That's something like 60% of the population of Europe. Right? It was a terrifically awful thing. And uh, there's a record, for example, in the Italian city of Florence This is a contemporary record. It says, all the citizens did little else except to carry dead bodies to be buried. At every church they dug deep pits down to the water table and thus those who were poor who died during the night were bundled up quickly and thrown into the pit. In the morning when a large number of bodies were found in the pit they took some earth and shoveled it down on top of them and later other bodies were placed on top of them and then another layer of earth just as one makes lasagna with layers of pasta and cheese. A bit gruesome, isn't it? So, hence this woodcut, the next slide, that um, you know, this kind of artwork was produced. It was the most gruesome and awful time. Writing about this, his experience of the plague in Florence, the great Renaissance poet Petrarch uh, was sure that future generations would not believe accounts of such horror. He uh, quote, "Oh, happy posterity, who will not experience such abysmal woe, and will look upon our testimony as a fable." So why then, what's this to do with the Reformation? And Well, um, Alistair Roberts, as I say, a professor at Durham University, he says that actually at this time, during this great plague, all the priests and the monks who were actually good-hearted people of genuine faith, who really cared for their flock, they went to visit those who were sick. They went to help those who were sick. They went to help, and as a result, they died in much greater numbers also, contracting the plague. Whereas those monks and Uh, others who were corrupt they were they looked after themselves and um, kept away from those who were sick and survived in greater numbers so that in the end the barrel didn't just have a few bad apples the barrel had nearly all bad apples and hence the terrible place that the clergy had descended into by the time of Luther Now, of course, there were many other attempts to reform the church, right? Luther was not the first person to see that the church was in a bad way. In England, for example, there's a guy called John Wycliffe. We have a picture of him, Adam. He lived between the 1320s and died in 1384. He was at at Oxford University. He was a professor there. And he criticized the monks and the monasteries. The, The monks would go out to beg uh, in the streets even from the poorest people they would beg money but actually back in the monastery they lived in luxury and Wycliffe preached against this and uh, he criticized the sale of indulgences and instead he raised up his own followers who went around actually doing good for the poor people and preaching the gospel and these were called Lollards you might have heard of them. And so he criticised the papacy, he criticised a lot of Catholic doctrines. And the reason he did this was because he actually went back to read the Bible. And uh, so he said that the truth about God can be found in the Bible and there's nothing about a papacy in the Bible. And so he criticised it and he wanted the common people to read the Bible and so he took his Latin Bible and he translated it into Middle English. And It was published in 1382. Well, he was declared a heretic, his Bible was suppressed, but in fact he died a natural death before he could be uh, martyred. Or there's another person who tried to reform the church, a a Czech priest in Europe called Jan Hus. And uh, he lived, there's a picture of him, Adam, he lived from 1369 to 1415. He read Wycliffe's criticisms and he picked them up as well. And he also preached against these abuses. He was a professor at Charles University in Prague. And he also particularly attacked the sale of these pieces of paper to say you were forgiven. Um, But he got burned at the stake and uh, declared a heretic and his books and stuff were destroyed. So how could this corruption be reformed? People have tried to address all this corruption. Um, Well, in the end, I think the truth really is that Luther didn't reform it. He just started new churches, actually. Um, And then subsequently, I think that led to some reformation in the Catholic Church, but that's not our subject today. So why did Luther succeed when these other people had not succeeded? Well, I think the truth is that a lot of the rulers and princes, the kings and queens across Europe, they were a bit fed up with the Pope being in charge of them. Now, of course, sometimes it was very useful. We, a couple of years ago, celebrated the 800th anniversary of the signing of the Magna Carta. Is that right? Uh, which just took place a few miles from here. And King John was forced by his barons to, uh, to agree to a, gr- a great curtailment of his own power and, and to, as it were, let the kingship come under the rule of law. Um, but he didn't like that. And so after it had happened, he wrote straight off to the Pope at the time, Innocent III, and the Pope announced that the Magna Carta was annulled. Right? So he annulled it. So it could be quite convenient. If you wanted help against your rebellious subjects, you just appealed to the Pope, and he wiped out whatever they had done. So, but in the end, it is true that nobody likes being told what to do in their own manner by people far away. Hence Brexit, I expect. Right? And, and that's why Henry VIII broke with Rome. Right? He, he, he wanted to get a divorce. The Pope wouldn't allow it. So he said, okay, um, stuff you. I'll start make myself head of my own church. But of course, the only reason he had an idea of doing that was because of Luther. Right? Now, I don't think these rulers necessarily shared Luther's faith, but it was convenient to adopt his faith for their political ends. And I think that's partly why Luther's uh, um, Reformation actually took hold. And of course the papacy had become, even apart from the corruption, it had lost a lot of authority because actually there ended up being two popes. There's another slide here, um, here, Adam. So you can see these different colors represent different popes. There was a pope in Avignon as well as a pope in Rome, and some areas of Europe sided with the pope in Avignon, some with the pope in Rome, and some flipped between. And you can imagine how that actually decreases your authority when there's so much confusion. So what actually then triggered Luther to speak out uh, on, uh, that day and to write those 95 theses, to go to that the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, which you can still visit today, and nail those there. And by the way, people regularly nailed notices there. It wasn't an unusual thing to do. And Luther later said, really I was just hoping to provoke a bit of discussion amongst my academic colleagues. But but the amazing thing was that with, right, that was 31st of October, he nailed that up. By December, printers in Germany had translated them into German and they were, three different printers were printing multiple copies and it was spreading. By January, it had been translated into Italian, French and English and was being printed in these countries. So a revolution was started without him really realizing what he was doing. And uh, so what triggered Luther to do that was the sale of pieces of paper promising forgiveness. And this all relied on a papal bull because there was a pope who in 1476, there's a slide of this, I'm not going to read this section of the bull. This is an English translation of this section of this papal bull. Salvator Noster is the title of the bull and it was Pope Sixtus IV. Sixtus, that's what uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg has called his latest child, isn't it? After the Pope, because Jacob Rees-Mogg is a Catholic. And um, I'm sure I'm not saying Jacob Rees-Mogg is in favour of this papal bull, by the way, I have no idea. Um, But the, the last two paragraphs here basically are saying, look, if you pay money to the church, you can have forgiveness. Right. And uh, it was on this basis that Tetzel, we now have the next slide, a picture of Tetzel, this Dominican monk um, who had this famous sales pitch. As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. And um, you've got to remember that at this time, 90% of the population of Europe could not read and there was no BBC, no CNN, there was no internet, there was no Sky News, whatever your favourite news source is. Uh, there was no internet, right? There was no. And what's more, they didn't have the Bible in their own language. The Bible was only available in Latin, and most ordinary people didn't speak or read or understand Latin. So people only knew what they were told. And um, the the clergy was corrupt. They were in in hock with rulers often just to keep all the ordinary people oppressed and working hard. And remember, this was a time when death was commonplace. Even as late as the Tudor period, it's reckoned that 60% of people in London died before they were age 21. 60% died before they were age 21. Winter killed many people. So the afterlife was quite important. Everyone was familiar with death. And so since the Catholic Church did teach that everyone who was brought for baptism as a child, they practiced christening, was destined for heaven, would definitely go to heaven, how were they to control people? Well, they invented a whole new thing called purgatory. They said, even though you're going to get to heaven, after your baptism, you accumulate more sins and your your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds and so you'll have to go to purgatory to endure terrible fire and suffering to pay for your bad deeds and therefore you're enthralled to us. You must come to church because that increases your good deeds. You must do the penances. you say. You must give money and buy all these things. You must buy these tickets of forgiveness from us in order to, because they were saying, you'll spend hundreds of thousands of years in purgatory. This is what they actually taught, to bring the people unto, under fear and into superstition. And so it was that uh, people were being sold these pieces of paper for forgiveness. In fact, you could even buy forgiveness for sins you'd plan to do in the future. Right? <laughs> you could buy sailors. They would sell at ports. They would say, "You're going off. Well, you, if you're going to have a bit of, you know, what's it in the next port you're going to? You can buy forgiveness in advance for this here. Right? If you were planning to theft or a murder or an adultery, you could buy forgiveness in advance corrupt or what right and then the 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 the, the, and this had gone on for hundreds of years but the development at this time was to actually play upon people's feelings for their dead loved ones to say you can actually purchase forgiveness for those who have already died right so that little that little girl that you that died five years old last year suffering hundreds of thousands of years you can buy her escape from that suffering or that, that dear granny that you loved so much, playing on people's emotions. This is exactly what Tetzel did. You can go and read the, some of the excerpts, the, the actual copies of his sermons to find this out. So, and the, the reason why the church wanted this money was because Pope Leo X, the Pope at that time, he was building the enormous St. Peter's Basilica in Rome that you may even have gone as a tourist to visit. Was paid for on the back of all the poor people of Europe who were tricked and duped into buying these uh, f- worthless pieces of paper, and um, so. And this, I think, provoked um, Luther because although he did not allow Tetzel into his own parish. Um, there's a, it's a longer story to that, but that's, it's sufficient. People from his parish were going to the next parish and hearing Tetzel. And he was seeing his parishioners, who perhaps had very little money, wasting their money buying these pieces of paper that could have been used to buy medicine and food for their sick children. And he was incensed and angered. And so he decided to pin up his 95 theses. Now you might say, well, why did it go on for so long? Well, it, why, why has it gone on for so long that film producers have been able to uh, offer roles to women actresses on the, in return for sexual favours? Why has that been allowed to go on for so long? Well, things become accepted. And things that are wrong become accepted. So what, what changed in Luther... But there's something else that needed to change. Something changed in Luther. He was a good Catholic. Something changed. And, uh, and I want to tell you a bit of the story about that. So um, I remember when I became a Christian when I was 18. As I say, I was um, inspired to turn to Christ by two Christian young women who spoke to me about the faith. They were very pleasant young women, but they never flirted with me or anything like that. But I'm sure I, I did like them, but... Um, Not particularly in that way, that a man might like a woman, as it were. But um, I I then went and tried all kinds of different churches. And I actually settled in Godalming Baptist Church. And I used to go there in the evening. And my mum started going to church because I was going to church. So I went to her, to the local village Anglican Church in the morning, and then to the Baptist Church in the evening. And the first time I was in the Baptist Church and they were doing communion. I had not done... This was a total new thing for me. I'd not gone to church or anything. I was 18 years old. And they'd said something from the front about how uh, we'll all do this together or something. And then they sent round plates with little little cubes of white bread. If you're familiar with Baptist churches, this is what they do. And then there was trays with little individual cups of grape juice for, for the wine, as it were. Well, I was confused. I thought we were all going to eat the bread together. So when the bread came, I, I was holding the bread. And I, I didn't know anything. I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm holding God, you know, and stuff. And I'm th- waiting because we're all going to eat this together. And then I saw, oh, they've all ate their bread. I didn't, I didn't get that right because actually what he said is they'd all drink the cup together, right? They were going to, so I just got it, you know. I was new, I was nervous, whatever. And in my fumbling, I dropped the piece of bread and it bounced off, you know. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, sort of thing. Because I, I, there's a lot of superstition that is associated. People are very superstitious, actually. And, uh, and now Luther had a very similar experience. He, When he'd been ordained a priest in 1507, he was going to conduct his first mass. And he was so terrified at this. He was... Standing as it were in the place of Christ before God. And he, he says, I was utterly stupefied and terror stricken. I thought to myself, with what tongue shall I address such majesty, seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince? Who am I that I should lift mine eyes to raise my hands to the divine majesty? For I'm dust and ashes and full of sin, and I'm speaking to the living, eternal, and true God. He was really quite terrified. In other words he was really grappling with that question i talked those questions i talked about at the beginning am i loved am i approved am i welcomed am i significant and he did not feel loved he did not feel approved he did not feel welcomed in the presence of god and he began to look for antidotes. He was already a very diligent priest, but he fasted, he would go to confession, and he would spend hours in confession, confessing his sins to other priests. And then at the end of the day, he'd think, oh, I have thought of another sin and I failed to confess it. And he was terribly tormented in himself. And you may say, oh, this is so irrelevant, it's all kind of odd, funny, medieval, religious stuff. But I want to tell you, it is not. You look at the levels of self-harm in our society, of people abusing their bodies with drugs and alcohol people are in anguish in their souls in our day they they may not relate it to knowing god but they, there is something wrong in the heart of men and women and boys and girls in our day as well so the same answer i want to suggest to you is relevant today just as relevant so yes, agreed, people may not think, I wonder how God sees me, they, but they so much think about how other people see them, what, what is being said about them on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, or even what we think about ourselves when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Am I loved? Am I approved? Am I welcome? Am I significant? So as I say, Luther threw himself into every kind of, uh, 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 of spiritual act and religious act, seeking to merit God's favor. And, and the same is true today. People feel, if only yeah, the other guys in my gang carry knives, I'll carry knives. Or all the girls sleep with their boyfriends, I'll be left out. I better sleep with my boyfriend. Or I better wear a poppy or I'll be in dead trouble you see that last year the the recent years celebrities have been in such dead trouble if they weren't wearing a poppy and 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 now i'm not wanting to speak disrespectfully of the sacrifice of others but i think we went to war for, for liberty actually to have freedom so I'll just throw that out there. If I've offended you, forgive me. And uh, so we, uh, people are in a, a terrible place of so many things being laid upon us. Eventually, Luther, in his efforts, decided he'd preach some lectures on the Psalms and on the book of Romans. And when he got to the book of Romans, something happened. So now we're going to get to scripture. The slide, Adam, Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says. The apostle Paul writes... Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Gentiles is, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? For in the gospel, it's like muggle in Harry Potter terms, right? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 17, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. Now, Luther was grappling with this. You see, all the Catholic teaching in the Middle Ages was that this righteousness of God meant his judgment, his condemning action against sinners. So that in the gospel, the righteous judgments of God is revealed. And so... um, Luther would have read this in the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, a translation that that uses the word the justice of God. In fact, even the modern uh, Catholic Bible uses the justice of God here. So the next slide, Adam. It meant for in the gospel, the judgment of God is revealed. Now, what kind of good news is that? He saw that in the Old Testament, the judgment of God is revealed, and now in the new as well. And so... uh, um, words have to be interpreted in their context. You know, if, if, if I read, he put the plug in and ran a bath, I think it's most likely that is not an electrical plug. Do you agree? <laughs> Unless the story is developing into a kind of suicide thing, in which case I might realize it was an electrical plug. So you have to interpret the word plug according to the context. And the same is true of this word righteousness or justice here. See, Next slide, Adam. This Greek word in the original Greek New Testament can be understood in three different ways according to the Bible scholar, Douglas Moo. It can mean, yes, an attribute of God, that he is holy, that he is a judge of injustice. But it can also mean a status given by God, a new standing with God for people. And it can also mean a saving action of God. Now, the Catholic Church had fixed on option one That this just announced that God was very, very holy and angry about sin and he was going to get sinners. Like that, um, you know, that Monty Python introduction, if you remember that introduction with the big thumb or the foot coming down and squashing. This is the, the kind of idea that people often have of God that he's just there to kill joy to get us. And this was the view. And so, as a result, Romans 1:17 filled Luther with anger and hatred towards God. He wrote, I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Is it not enough, Luther tells us, he murmured, that God crushes us miserable sinners with his law that he has to threaten us with punishment through the gospel too. <laughs> right? And so, for Luther, this verse was bad news. The gospel itself was bad news. But one day... It turned to good news, and Nathan referenced this at the beginning. It's often called Luther's tower experience because uh, he said that it happened in a heated room. It was his study of the Tower of the Black Cloister in Wittenberg when the light broke upon him. I imagine that building is still there to this day. And there's a slide for this, Adam. This is what he wrote about this. I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. The end of verse 17. Then I grasp that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us or makes us right with himself through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Now, Luther had then the answer to his great questions. Before God he knew he was loved, he knew he was approved, he knew he was welcomed and he was significant by faith in Christ alone, not by his own merits the one who is righteous by faith shall live he understood that's what this means it's the next slide adam and if you read on in the book of romans you'll find that this is very clear what paul the apostle meant when he wrote the book of romans if we read chapter three there's a slide it's verse 22 says this righteousness is given through faith in jesus christ to all who believe right it's a gift of it's a status of being right with god of being approved and welcomed by god And Romans 5, there's a verse there that says the same thing, but I will skip that one. Modern society is just as driven by all kinds of rules as society in the past. We must speak in such and such a way. We must not speak in such and such a way. We must get drunk. We must carry knives. We must take naked selfies and text them to our boyfriend, girlfriend. No, you don't. These are all stupid rules. All this stupid stuff that is put upon people. No wonder we have so much, you know, the children and mental health services are completely overrun. So many people addicted to alcohol and drugs. But Luther found that actually there is something, there is someone who has spoken a better word over our lives, who has the authority to welcome us and receive us and that's why he wrote those 95 theses and he translated the Bible into German because he saw the most important thing is to get the Bible into people's hands and because he was actually a Greek scholar and a Hebrew scholar actually he could translate the Bible from the original instead of just going to the Latin translation that the Catholic Church had used which was quite an inferior translation he could go right back to the originals and make a terrific translation, equivalent to the authorised version in the English language, his Luther's Bible for the German language. And so he wrote, there's a slide here, take myself as an example. He said, I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force, not with violence. I simply taught, preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. Next slide, Adam. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought when one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row? (laughs) Satan sits back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the poor fools are up to now. But when we spread the word alone and let it alone do the work, that distresses Satan. For it, the word, is almighty and takes captive the hearts. And when the hearts are captured, the work will fall of itself. That's why we love the word of God. Because it sets free, so he won but Luther believed he won through the by force of argument, not by the argument of force, so. That's why it's been so important to make the Bible available in people's heart language and as cause a revolution in Europe. I think you can argue it's interesting how historians vary in this. At the beginning of the 20th century, a really influential historian argued the Reformation was the cause of the Industrial Revolution and all the rest. By the 1960s, that was criticised and rejected. I think, you, I think it's very difficult not to argue that, actually. The Reformation delivered people from superstition and fear. We, we learned that because we could actually read the Bible, we could find out what the Bible says about God rather than what clerics trying to make us fearful and superstitious would tell us about God. So it set people free to actually know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is loving and he is just, that he's full of grace and of truth. And so you can start to have a, rel- a reliable relationship with God yourself. And... Um, uh, and a reliable relationship with his creation and because you know you find out that God is a rational ordered purposeful creator you begin to realize i can go and explore and research the creation you can do science and you you, you can um I'll skip that section there. Then you can um, look at things like, uh, I think people were free to actually work hard. The whole Protestant work ethic grew out of the Reformation. Because you see, all the time you're working for acceptance, it's a very dreary thing. But when you're working from acceptance, then you can really actually thrive And even modern research into workplaces has shown that workplaces that are rich with approval are much more productive workplaces. So the the grace of God is actually a genuinely effective thing. Reformation ideas opened up uh, the idea that, that even kings and princes should be under the law of God and therefore even under laws. This is what led to the English Civil War because in a sense Parliament started to say, no, even the king should obey the law. Because that wasn't the norm. The kings were above the law. And so the, the English Civil War, Cromwell, it was unseated. I know we got kings back after Cromwell left, but from that time forward, all the kings and queens of this country had been subject to the law of this land. That's the product of the Reformation. And, and actually, that's a very important thing because before then, all the land of a country belonged to the king. So there couldn't be any property owned by anybody else, in effect. But afterwards... Property could, you could have personal property. Personal property is the absolute fundamental ground of modern economies. Proper property rights and the establishment of clear ownership of property. These are all things that flowed from the Reformation. Now, of course, there are downsides to some of these things, but they have been remarkably influential. But, of course, for Christians, the biggest thing is this issue of what the gospel is, that we can know we're fully, finally accepted and included in God's forever family not because of our what we've done but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross validated by the father raising him from the dead so the challenge for all human beings as we seek to satisfy this heart hunger to know am i loved am i approved am i welcomed am i significant do i belong there are many questions like this is that like luther we can never be sure we've done enough even when we end a day feeling virtuous because of some kindness we've shown or a great lesson we delivered at school or a brilliant presentation to a potential client, when we wake the next day, we're going to have to start over trying to prove ourselves. But God has set us free from all of that by the grace of God. So I believe Luther had a remarkable revelation. He was actually rediscovering truths that had been understood centuries before but he brought them afresh to life. And you might, you might even be a Christian here today and that needs to be a revelation for you. I, I was a Christian about a year and I was at, in my bath in my college. Um, I was at Hatfield College in Durham University. The bathrooms were very bare spaces, no windows, just a bath in it. I was laying in this bath. I was trying so hard to be a Christian. I'd been a Christian a year and I was exhausted. And I lay in that bath and I just said, God, I've had it. I resign. <laughs> I can't do Christianity, it's just too much hard work. And I just lay there moaning at him and telling him I've had it, I've done with it. And then this incredible revelation came. No, no, I, you know, you, thank goodness. You know, basically he said, I accept. Right? <laughs> and thank goodness you're realizing this, I'm the one who's done all of this. Right. I'm the one who's done it. it right? Stop it. Stop it. And then it actually releases you to actually do good and really because you're no longer doing it to try and earn all his acceptance but you can do it out of the overflow of his love and his joy. That is the gospel. Amen and amen.